0: Thank God for giving us this time. We're going to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. We give glory and honor to your name because your God who you has blessed us so much, who have enabled us to wake up this morning to welcome this day. And we pray as we continue with our standing for this is important teaching on Calvinism and the doctrine of salvation that Lord, we will rejoice. It was
1: planned he turned it to the redemption. We thank you Lord for the
0: benefits that are topic you be with us you help us to understand the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus not because We deserve them not because we are better than anybody else, but because of your love and conditional love. Be with us and bless our time together for us this in Jesus' name. We continue with our study on Calvinism and the doctrine of salvation. And we have, this is the third study, and uh, we have already had an introduction on the two approaches to salvation, and that is Calvinism and Arminianism. And last Sunday, we looked at the differences between the two approaches. Today, we are going to look at the five points of Calvinism, and we are going to focus on the first point. You are still
1: able.
0: To be able to to look at them. We saw last Sunday that the Calvinism was actually the Reformation theology, because the 16th century reformers held the doctrines of sovereignty of God, total depravity of man, and then conditional election. And what they were able to conclude is that man is helpless in sin, and God is sovereign over grace. The way He's seen us, we also saw that the the sin of
2: thoughts. Discussing
0: today, we are, we are, as I've mentioned, we are looking at these five points of covenantship. That is total depravity. And conditional election, limit and atonement, irresistible grace, and, and being these doctrines. So we are going to look at uh, the first one: total depravity, and. Uh, I think it is, uh, it, it is important that we start from there because we are trying to understand ourselves when we are talking about the total depravity of mind. What is it that we are saying in the first place? And, and what, what we should remember when we are talking about total de- de- depravity, those are two ones. And the other two one, three ones that would help us understand this doctrine is dead in sin. And what we are saying is, man is dead in sin when we are talking about total depravity. Because there is sin. Unless one is born again, one is dead in sin. That is what we read from Ephesians stubbornly against God that is what we read from Romans 8 chapter 7 we'll look at that one later on so what we need to accept right at the beginning is that due to sin mankind is completely sinful every part of fallen man is corrupted by sin they sin in all aspects, all spheres of our lives, there isn't any part which we can say is not affected by sin. And maybe that is what we sometimes fail to, to grasp. Romans,
1: Romans chapter
0: three, verse 10 and 11, tells us, as it is written, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. See Romans chapter three, verse twenty three tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if that is the case, then it means there is no exception. When it is saying, oh, there is, there is none, when God looks at the humanity in its totality, God doesn't find anyone who is righteous, anyone who understands, anyone who seeks for God. Or oh, have turned assigned, together they have become worthless. That is the testimony of God's want.
1: I think we all
0: love the 1689 confession and in chapter nine of the 1689 confession there is chapter nine is on free will we are going to look at section three of chapter nine i want somebody to read that one for us i've already given it there so you can read
1: Yes. The human
2: race, through the fall into a state of sin, has completely lost all ability of will to perform any spiritual good accompanying salvation. In our natural state, we are altogether opposed to spiritual good and dead in sin. We are not able, by our own strength, to convert ourselves but even to prepare ourselves for conversion.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'm using the, 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 the version in modern English by Andrew Keham, And he has given additional reference to scripture beyond what is traditionally given in the 1689 confession of faith what is your understanding of this statement in our confession because we we it's ours even though it was drafted so many years ago it's part of our our constitution what is this section telling us
1: about the human race Yes. Uh, the, the human race,
2: in its natural uh, state, is is corrupted uh, beyond um, rescue by its own self. So it needs help from 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 outside itself. Uh, yeah. Okay.
0: And when we are talking about human race. We are not talking about somebody out there. We are talking about ourselves because we are part of the human race. And so because of the fall, the fall of random, we find ourselves in a state of sin, completely lost. We don't have the ability to do what is accepted as the spiritual good that would lead to our salvation. And that is what we need to realize. And uh, in fact, it goes on to say that altogether we are opposed to spiritual good and dead in sin. We are not able, by our own strength, to convert ourselves or even to prepare ourselves for conversion. So, total depravity affects everything we do and makes us completely. Dependent on God's grace to intervene if we are to be saved or do anything that's to pleasing God. That is what we need to realize. Everything,
1: every part of our life
0: What does John chapter three verse three tell us? In John chapter three. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And what does Jesus say on Nicodemus in verse 3? And also, I think it's verse 5, not verse 6.
1: Nobody remembers.
0: Huh? One is born again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of He God. cannot see the kingdom of God. And uh, also, verse, verse 5, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 2 also Tells us that we are spiritually dead, and we cannot follow God or being God or even hear God's call to believe, and that is why the gospel is so important. The fall is recorded
1: in Genesis chapter three, and. Uh, But in Genesis chapter six,
0: in Genesis chapter six, verse three, then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120. Verse five, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. So that is God's testimony regarding the the human race before the flood. But even after the flood, the flood did not wash away. That corruption, why did God enter into the covenant with Noah in chapter 8 verse 21, this is what we read. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So, again, even though there was that judgment because of the fall, still man did not change. The intention of his heart remains evil. That is what Genesis is telling us. Sin penetrates to the very core of our being so that everything is tainted by sin. Because Isaiah says, all our righteous acts are like fill the rags before God. So total depravity means that there is no human faculty that is left untouched by sin.
1: There's this, uh,
0: this argument I, I, I think I I, I remember, even when we were in high school, we were asking ourselves, do we sin because we are sinners? Or we are sinners because we sin? Which is which?
1: Are we sinners because we sin? Or we sin because we are sinners? We sin
0: because we are sinners. By nature we are sinners. That is what we are saying. That is what the four did to human race. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says, So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So if we are evil, how can we be expected to do good if they sin? The, the, what, whatever comes from us will be polluted by sin. And when we consider the, this doctrine of total depravity, it really changes our view, views on salvation. And there is a question. Can a person who is not born again do good works? What do you think? Hmm? And when we are talking about the good works, we are not looking at it from a human point of view. We are looking at it from God. Is it possible for somebody who is not born again to do anything that is pleasing to God, done in faith and to the glory of God? What is the answer? It is not possible because Romans 14, verse 23 says, whatever is not of faith is sin. And then there's another question. Can a person want to be born again and follow instructions on how to do it? Because well, sometimes people are told to come forward to raise their hands or to repeat a prayer. You're giving instructions on how one can be born again. But is it possible? Because we're talking of a dead person, it's like enticing a person who is in the grave, who has been dead for four days, like Lazarus telling them to to come out of the grave. It is not possible, is it? Again, John chapter six tells us, it is the spirit who quickens. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Can any person accept Christ as his personal Savior so that he becomes saved after that? Is it possible? And you decide when to accept Christ as your Savior because that is what is the implication. Again, we we find that when it's not possible, only after God makes a personal life can he and will he accept Christ? So even when, I, I know when we were in school, when we were in high school, it, it's very, it was very easy when somebody stands to give a testimony to say, I received Jesus, I accepted Jesus at such and such a, a date, or I made a decision. But given the, the nature of human sin, the depravity of the human nature, it is not easy, it's not possible for, for us to accept Christ as our Savior without the work of the Holy Spirit giving us faith and also enabling us to, to do what is pleasing. Again, it's Jesus who says, no man can come to me except the Father who sent me, draw him. So, that is the reality we need. And then there are are other questions that we need to ask ourselves regarding total depravity. Does it mean that all people are equally bound? That a person is as bound as he can be? that anyone is destitute of virtue, that human nature is evil in itself, that the human spirit is inactive, that the body is dead. I don't think, what would be the answer, the simple answer to those questions?
1: Does total depravity
0: mean that all people are equally bound? No. That a person is as bad as he can be, God in his mercy restrains people from becoming as evil as it is possible. That That is not necessarily the case. So total depravity is not absolute depravity. A person is not as evil or as burned as possible, or as evil as the devil. That is what we need to realize. Also total depravity is not a complete as absence of relative good. And when we are talking about relative good, we are talking about the good that we do to, to others, showing kindness to others, or even to the creation itself. Gone through common grace enables there and regenerate to do relative good. restraining the evil in them what total depravity means is that men are unwilling and unable to come to God and nothing they can do can merit God's favor they are not willing to come to God and there is nothing that they can do that would merit God's favor that is what we need to realize So when we look at uh, total depravity, we are looking at it in, in the widest sense possible. The extent of human depravity means that people in their fallen nature are dead in sin and the motives that drives them are the wrong principles. They are not able to do any works done in true faith according to the law of God and to the glory of God. In their natural state, people are wholly unable to love God or do anything meriting salvation. And the reason is because of the rebellion that is in them. Let's look at uh, some 14, somebody can read it for us. <laughs> it is already there Whoever has The microphone can, can read it.
1: The fool says in his heart, there is hard. no
0: good. They are corrupt. They do, not, they do ab-
2: abomin- abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand,
0: who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one.: okay. That is the, the testimony. Of course,, even if once one is, is talking about the fool is saying there is no God. It is an expression of the corruption that is in human beings. There is, there is no one. That is what this passage is telling us. Human corruption is extensive rather than in- intensive as we have seen. Because we are not as weakened. God has by His mercy not allowed us to be as evil as we could be. Because when when, when even when people, people give testimony, sometimes their are people. Some can say they were steeped in this and that scene, but we are not as evil as we could possibly be. The implications of total depravity, let's look at that one. In the first place, fallen humanity is never Able to do any good that is pleasing to God. And we have looked at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and also chapter 8, which tells us that, gives us the reason why the flood was brought. by God destroying the world with the flood because of the evil, the corruption that was in the human beings. And even after the flood, Things did not change. The human mind still remains corrupt. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, tells us that the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately weakened. The human hearts. And Psalm 51, in, oh, verse 5 and 58, verse 3 also. Testify that the, the corruption from con- conception and birth, there is sin, there is evil. So, fallen man is alien by birth and a sinner by choice. We are, we are saying is alien, alienated from God, right from birth. And when one grows up, one sins freely, because that is the, what the human nature is. No one is compelled to sin, people sin by choice. And in that state then, fallen people cannot rescue themselves from their guilt and depravity. So in the second place, fallen humanity does does not do the good. They are hostile to God. They are not obedient to the law of God and cannot please God. And there are several verses that I have given In Matthew chapter eight, which we have already considered, a hair of the tree cannot bear and fruit. fruits. And in Romans chapter eight, which we have also looked at, it says, they cannot submit. The, The emphasis is on cannot, what human beings in their sinful state are not able to do, the good that is pleasing to God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And in in John chapter 15, again, Jesus tells his disciples, unless, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he goes on to, to tell them that, apart from me, you can do nothing. So there is that emphasis on, can or cannot, apart from Christ. In the third place, fallen humanity cannot understand the good. Ephesians 4 verse 18 tells us, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And also, Second Corinthians chapter three, verse fourteen to sixteen, talking about the minds, but their minds were hardened. For to this day Paul is talking about the Jews. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Until the Lord opens the heart, therefore, nobody is going to really do what is acceptable. Acts 16, verse 14, is referring to Lydia, whom the Lord opened her heart so that she was able to receive the gospel. So, Those who are outside of Christ are not able to hear the word. And we are talking about hearing with understanding. Jesus in chapter 8 of John, verse 43, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You remember in in chapter 8 of John, if you read it through, at one point, they even wanted to kill Jesus.
1: So, in their
0: depraved condition, human beings are blind and in darkness with hand and hearts. There it is again, can or cannot, the natural person does not accept the links of the Spirit of God for they are fallen to Him and He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The reason why we are emphasizing the human condition is so that we will be able to see the importance of salvation for us to be able to do what is pleasing to the Lord and also to accept Him, to have Him as our Lord. So the fallen humanity cannot desire good. Again, there's the emphasis of cannot in Matthew chapter 7, in John chapter 3, which we have already considered, and also in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. What we That, that is why we give glory to God. Man cannot, no one can, and that is talking about universal depravity or total depravity. Ezekiel chapter 11 talks of hearts of stone, where God himself says, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a new heart of flesh. So that hand heart is unable to receive the gospel. But God, in His mercy, softens that heart, removes it and puts in it a heart of flesh, a heart that is alive, a heart that is responsive to the things of God. The question that we also need to answer, and uh, I think the answer is obvious, because of the many scriptural verses that we have considered so far, is, is total depravity biblical. What do you think from all the passages that we have considered already? Is it biblical? Is it taught in the Bible? The answer should be a resounding yes. Because that is what the scriptures teach. Outside of Christ, man is totally depraved. You can get it in the book of Romans, the first three chapters, there's a lot of emphasis on that. So is it also written in Ephesians chapter 2. It is God alone who can make us alive and he does that sovereignly without our end and without our asking. John, that man who was stubborn, who did not want to go to preach the gospel, tells us in John 2, verse 9, salvation is of the Lord. He realized that. <laughs> we are talking about saving faith that gives God all the glory, because we realize that we cannot save ourselves. So when we understand that we are completely sinful, unable to save ourselves, we will fully appreciate God's grace in rescuing such sinners from the punishment that we deserve. And that's why we are emphasizing total depravity, realizing that there is nothing that we could do, and also understanding that what we deserve as sinners is God's wrath. but he is. In his mercy, he has saved us. Total depravity is seen throughout the scripture. I don't think we will spend a lot of time on that one because, again, that is what we've been saying. The Bible teaches that man is bonded in transgression and sin. And uh, Psalm 51 verse 5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58 verse 3, The weekend are estranged from the womb. then go astray from birth, speaking lies. I think that is a human experience. When a baby is born, and mothers can attest to this one, who teaches... The the, the baby to cry. Sometimes the baby can cry the whole night, maybe because of certain discomfort. But later on, even as children grow, if they want something, they will cry. There's selfishness in them. Nobody teaches them uh, evil ways because it is human nature. Also, People suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. That is what Romans 1 verse 18 testifies. So there is is a lot that the Bible has got to say regarding total depravity. It is a a result of Adam's sin. So if anybody is going to be saved, they must be born again. Adam in the garden was warned not to eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil upon the threat of death. But when he disobeyed the God, he brought death upon himself and upon his prosperity. I think we can look at Colossians chapter 2. We look at Colossians chapter 2. Somebody can turn there, Colossians chapter 2 verse 3, somebody else can look, can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 3, and another one, Titus 1, verse
1: 15, who is ready on Colossians? For example, to read for us. Yes.
2: And for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I see this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Okay.
0: It's talking about the... The riches of Christ. What about Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3?
1: Ecclesiastes 9 3.
0: This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to us to us all, not to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts when they live and after they go to the dead. Okay. The evil in human hearts. Their hearts are corrupt and evil. Titus 1, verse 15. The pure all things are pure, but the defiled and the unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Okay. So before sinners are born, into God's kingdom through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, they are children of the devil and under his control, they are slaves to sin. And there are several passages that testify to that. One of them being Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3, we will not read that one. The reign of sin is universal. All people are under its power. Consequently, none is righteous, not even one. I think we can look at uh, Proverbs 20, verse 9. Again, somebody who can get it can read it for us. Proverbs 20, verse
1: 9.
0: Who can say, I have my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? Who can say that among us this morning?
1: That is what uh,
0: Solomon is asking. Who can say, I've made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? And that's, especially if one is outside of Christ, Because in Christ, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 and 29. The next book.
1: Surely, yes.
0: Oh, sorry i I just wanted to read so it says "Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins okay and verse 29 29 says see this alone i found that god made man upright but they have sought out many schemes they have sought out many schemes god made man righteous whatever schemes of man are opposed to the righteousness that gone and initially meant man. People left in the identity state are unable of themselves to repent, to believe the gospel or come to Christ. They have no power within themselves to change their nature or prepare themselves for salvation. So that is what we need to realize. So total depravity explains the troubles that are in the world today. And when we are talking about There is hatred against God and man. People are thoroughly thoroughly burned and in terrible state of affairs unless God helps them. If a person has a desire for God, it is only because God is working within that person to will and to do according to his good pleasure. God's good pleasure as we read in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 and 13. And so, what the world needs are Christians, men and women of faith, in all areas of society, in politics, in economics, in business, in every area of human activity. Because Jesus told his disciples, You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. And so, I don't know if you imagine what would happen if there were no Christians in the world today. What would happen if there is no gospel? What would happen if God and to leave human beings in their state? Obviously, the world would be worse than it is today. So. We need people to go out, preach the gospel, and also live lives. Because the problem sometimes is the kind of life that the Christians are living. They are not the salt. They are not living as as the salt. They are not living as the light. And uh, that is the challenge that the Lord himself gave to us. The objection to total depravity is because of the view that human beings have of themselves. They want to be praised. They want to be told that they are, they are self-worth, they are important, they have innate goodness. But when you look at the total depravity, it, it tells us that human beings are sinful and not deserving God's grace. If anything, what they deserve is the wrath of God. I would like us to look at Psalm seven,
1: Psalm seven was eleven and twelve. God
0: is a righteous judge and a god who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wear his sword. He has bent and ready his bow. he has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. So whats that one? is describing is a picture of God who is hungry at sin and, 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 and who is going to bring sinners to judgment. The certainty of God's judgment unless sinners repent. The other thing we need to realize is total depravity is again, a human experience. Total depravity is rejected Because it it seems to be, again, what we experience in our everyday life. Although, as we have seen, total depravity does not mean that people never do good from a human perspective. People are good. In their own eyes, they are good. They are doing what is uh, acceptable in society. But when you look at it from God's point of view, again... Isaiah 64 comes to mind, all oh, our righteous acts are like fill the ranks. Total depravity demands a radical solution. Because if people are lost in sin, they cannot really find themselves. They love their sin. They love the world. They are not righteous before God. They are not inclined to obey God and there is nothing in them that can start them to choose God unless God chooses them. So the only way a person will ever come to Christ is through saving faith. And that comes after the new birth. I don't know, I have squandered my time, but let's see how far we will be able to go with The second point of Calvinism, and that is unconditional election. I think it flows from the first point, because if man is corrupt and deserving God's wrath, then if there is anybody who is going to be saved, it has got to be by God's choice. Sovereign election, unconditional election is sovereign election. God's rescuing, because of human inability, people are not able to save themselves, to do anything to be saved. Their only hope of salvation is through God's election on the basis of His sovereign will and for reasons in Himself, without our contribution. So what's This second point teaches is that God chose to give some people eternal life without looking for anything good in them as a condition for loving and saving them. I think that one is a straightforward sentence which can help us to understand this doctrine. And conditional election, God chose to give some people eternal life without looking for anything good in them as a condition for loving
1: and saving them.
0: That one is as opposed to conditional election, which implies that God chooses to be his people, those who first love and choose him. But John 15, verse 16, as we have already seen, says, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. And that is the same truth that is taught in Romans chapter nine. (laughs) So election is an unconditional act of grace, since God sovereignly chose before the foundation of the world, those who would be saved by his grace and brought repentance and faith in Christ. The passage that we have been looking at right from the first <laughs> session is Ephesians chapter 1, from verse four, verse 4. When we are talking about election, we are considering the elect from every tribe tongue and nation who were chosen by God for adoption not because of anything they would do but because of his sovereign will the emphasis is on sovereign will he chose us in Christ out of his own good purpose not because of anything that we are we are done what we need to realize again is God could have chosen to save all men, everybody, because he has the power and authority to do so. And also God could have chosen to save no one because he is not under any obligation to save anyone. Those are two truths. Because sometimes we feel as if salvation is our right. But it is by God's grace and mercy. God is not under any obligation to save anybody, but He chose to save some. And God is able to save. He could have chosen to save everybody because He has the power. When we talk about the blood of Jesus Christ... It has infinite merit to cleanse the sins of everybody. if that was God's purpose. But what we find is God instead chose to save some and leave others to the consequences of their sins. And there are several passages in Scripture. To that effect, we will look at Deuteronomy chapter seven verse six in a moment. So it is not our actions or decisions that can save us because we are spiritually dead and we cannot stand to God by our own. It is God who elects believers to salvation based solely on His grace and not Our works. Again we shall look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 48, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. That's what we read there. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. It is going through saves him by grace. Without looking at the condition of our works or any foreseen response to his grace. I would like us to... To look at
1: the Confession of Faith again.
0: Chapter 3 of the Confession of Faith is uh, on the decrees of God. And section 3 to 6 is the one that is uh, talking about unconditional election. By God's decree and for the demonstration of His glory, certain human beings and angels are predestined or ordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ to the praise of His glorious grace. Others are left to continue in their sin to their just condemnation, to the praise of His glorious justice. So that is the section three of the Confession of Faith. Section three of chapter three of the Confession of Faith is telling us there is predestination of ordination to eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that is to the praise of the glory of God.
1: And when God
0: leaves out some in their sin, li- leading to their condemnation, again, it is, you can't say God is not just. Because whoever will find themselves in hell is because that is where, what their sin deserves. Whoever finds themselves in heaven, it will be by the grace of God. Because everyone deserves to go to hell. But by the grace of God, he intervenes and saves people. Those angels and human beings who are predestined and foreordained to eternal life are specifically and irreversibly designated and their number is so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. So that is the
1: the, the,
0: the sec, section three, four of, of the, the confession of faith, talking about the number. And obviously it, it is because God is, is sovereign, God is all-knowing, there is nothing that, that is new as far as God is concerned. He knows exactly who I is. He knows who will believe. And who 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 are to be saved. And and that is why the confession is stressing the importance of the defin- how definite that number is, it can't be increased or diminished. Number five, section five, God chose those human beings who are predestined to life before the foundation of the world in accordance with his eternal and immutable purpose and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will. God chose them in Christ for eternal glory solely out of his grace and love without anything in the creature as a condition or cause, moving him to choose him. Again, it's what we've been saying. Saved, not because of anything that we have done, but by the grace of God. That is what the confession is stressing. And section 6, As God has appointed the elect to glory, so he has, by the eternal and completely free purpose of his will, foreordained all the means. Therefore, those who are elected being fallen in random are redeemed by Christ, effectually called to faith in Christ by His Spirit, working due season, justified, adopted, sanctified, and kept by His power, through faith to salvation. None but the elect are redeemed by Christ, effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and saved. So again, this section is giving us the means through which the elects are going to be saved. God has also appointed the means. And obviously the preaching of the gospel is one of those means. We need to be thankful and praise God for unconditional election because he is the one who chose us in Christ So there is forordination, the which refers to God's sovereign plan whereby He designs all that is to happen in the entire universe. And then predestination refers to man's eternal destiny in heaven or in hell. There is election for those who are going to heaven and the for those who find themselves in hell. Election means to choose, to select or to opt, and divine election is God choosing some to go to heaven where others are passed by and will go to hell. That one compared to human election, and we, we had elections when last year it looks like it was too long ago. But when when we, we when you you go to vote. For your favorite candidates, you have compared, you looked at them, looked at the promises that they have made and you make your decision on that. But when it comes to divine election, it is unconditional. It is not based on anything that is on on man, that is in man. So the Christian realizing that he is chosen by God will give praise to God for his goodness and kindness, to such a deser- uh, undeserving sinner. Because we all deserve to go to hell, but God shows his mercy. Election was based, no, th- th- this one should, should read, election was not based on anything good in man, or done by man no it's a question if election was based on anything good in man or done by man who could who could be saved i'm getting confused because there's another another sentence which which, which i realized was uh, was missing one word but here this one is a question if election was based on anything good in man or man Or done by man who could be saved. No one. We all agree, because, and again, it's because of Adam's fall and his descendants, the effect of the fall, the fact that a natural man is sinful, the fact that God is not under any obligation to save anyone. If God had not graciously chosen a people for himself and sovereignly determined to provide salvation for them and apply it to them, none could be saved. So this single sentence is talking about God's plan of salvation and uh, in time, redemption by Christ and the application of that redemption by the Holy Spirit. So the five points of Calvinism are really linked together. They are tied, they tie together. You cannot have one without the other. And the conditional election flows from total depravity. I think that one is obvious. If people are steeped in sin, dead in sin, the only way they can rise is by God's intervention. Through regeneration, God gives man spiritual life and faith. It's God who is at work, as we have already seen, the Father choosing, the Son securing, and the Spirit applying the redemption that was purchased by Christ. Again, the Bible, has very many passages that talk about uh, election, many verses in both Old and New Testament. John chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 9, which our pastor has been preaching. And uh, faith is due to God's sovereign election from before the foundation of the world. That is what also Titus chapter 3, verse 5 tells us. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. The name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. And in John chapter 6, verse 37 to 39, all that the Father, that 7 and thirty nine, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So there are people given to the Son by the Father. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then verse 39 says, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That one." verse 39 actually relates to the last point of Calvinism—that that is the perseverance of the saints because christ is going to preserve them he's not going to lose any of all that the father has given him he's praying is high priest prayer and in verse 2 he says you have given him authority over all flesh you gave eternal life to all whom you have given him. We have already looked at Acts 13 verse 48, but we can look at it again. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. But some would prefer to, that statement to be as many as believed while ordained to eternal life. But that is, that, that is not the case. Thessalonians, Paul is giving thanks because God chose, is giving thanks for the, for the Thessalonians and he is telling them, God chose you as the first proof to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit, God's choice. The same in Ephesians, God chose us in Him, that is in Christ, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. So there is God's purpose, predestination and God's choice. Looking at the whole nation, the nation of Israel, this is what Amos says, On going through Amos says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. I would like us to look at uh, Romans chapter 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called; And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So the unconditional election is a link in this unbreakable chain of salvation, which begins with
1: the eternal electing love of God. We've been considering
0: Romans chapter six, where in verse 13, we read, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. There are people obviously who are not comfortable with the doctrine of unconditional election. And the reason is because they, it, to, to them, it implies that God is unjust and therefore the doctrine cannot be true. But that is, is not necessarily the case because in verse 18 of Romans 9, this is what we read. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. I don't think we have time to discuss Deuteronomy chapter... 7 verse, from verse 6 to 9, but again, there is the emphasis there on God choosing His people. This, in particular, is referenced reference to the people of Israel. The Lord, your God, has chosen you as His treasure. For what reason, verse 7 says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the all that He saw to your fathers. I think it's important. God is telling His people that He chose them, not because of anything. Maybe we can... Because our time is gone, we can skip this section, the biblical evidence. Because again, we are giving the scriptures that support this document, this this doctrine. In number two, there's I noticed this. The one that I I sent and sent earlier on to the to the group. Under and number two, choice was based, choice was not based on an un, unforeseen merit in the elect or any spiritual good. but I think I corrected it, it's there. Let's very quickly look at them. Yeah, misconceptions, and I think just yes, the question is predestination, a harsh doctrine that forces people to do what they do not want. And then there is somebody, somebody. Is God's choice capricious, arbitrary, ladrum, or made without reason? Does unconditional election stifle evangelism? I know we are fresh on this doc- doctrine, but let, let me end with a quotation from our hymn, in our hymn book, hymn number 127. It is not that I did choose thee, or Lord, could, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, hast thou not chosen me. Thou from the sin that stained me hast cleansed and set me free of own. Thou hast ordained me that I should live with Thee. For sovereign mercy called me and taught my opening mind. The wound and else enthralled me. The heavenly glories blind my heart. Owns none before Thee, for Thy rich grace I thirst. This knowing, if I love Thee, Thou must have loved me first. I'm going to stop there. Our heavenly father we thank you and we praise you because we realize that we are sinners by nature but in mercy you have sent your son jesus christ to die for sinners we pray lord god even as the gospel is preached this morning that lord any in our midst who is still a stranger to the doctrines of grace the mercy of God will, you, you it will please you, Lord, to speak to them, to open their hearts, to receive the gospel that is preached, and to bring them to faith in Christ Jesus. Be with us and bless us for as this in Jesus' name.